So let's dive in to our next DNA topic, which is about local church. The denomination exists to help local congregations grow and multiply, be more healthy and more authentically reflect God's plan. Local churches are the most fundamental and strategic points of evangelism and discipleship. The challenge of the denomination is to keep finding the best ways to serve, strengthen and multiply congregations. So what does it mean to be a healthy local church? Well, ultimately, a church is just made up of people, yeah? So a healthy group of people would be a healthy local church. An unhealthy group of people, if we're out of sorts individually, guess what? We're going to carry that in and that's going to affect our life corporately. So a healthy bunch of people is actually the platform for a healthy local church. Now, let me just say, though, if you're still deciding if Axis Church is for you or not, don't look for perfection. You won't find that here. A healthy church is can be made up of healthy people, but it's not made up of perfect people. No such thing as a perfect church. And if you've been around the traps for a while, you'll know that. If you're new to church, let me fire an early warning shot. We have imperfect people here too. I'm here. You're here. And we're part of the broken world. And some people say, oh, I'm not interested in church. It's full of hypocrites. Well, yes, we, none of us live up to our values perfectly, do we? So we've all got a little bit of hypocrisy in us. But I love this insight from Rich Mullins. He says this, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who greet you there, that you don't have it all together, that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need some help. This is part of going to a church. It's me putting my hand up saying, hey, I can't do it all alone. Now, having said all that, we're not aiming for a perfect church, but we are aiming for a healthy church, yeah? So we do want to be moving forward. We do want to be a growing people. We do want to be a people making progress. And I think God's Word can provide us with some insight for that. So I'm inviting you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, tonight. And uh, we're going to be on the back end of 1 Peter chapter 1, and then we're going to flow into 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, you might say, are we allowed to do that, like kind of bleed into the next chapter? Yes, we are. What you need to know about the Bible is in these letters in their original form, there were no numbers. There were no verses. There were no chapters. These have been added so that when I tell you 1 Peter 1 verse 22, you actually know where to look. If I just said go to the letter of Peter, you wouldn't have any idea where I'm actually talking from. So these chapter um, divisions have been added for our benefit and they've tried to find where the topics sort of start and end to put chapters there, but, but by no means feel make them let, let them be a boundary to you when you're reading your Bible. The, the, the letter of Peter ought to be read as one continuous document because that's how it comes in its original form. Having said all that, 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read from verse 22. It says this, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. 
So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2 now. So get rid of all evil behaviour. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that it will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honour. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. This is the word of the Lord, and may he add his blessing to it. I want you to notice three things from this text. In a local, healthy church, people crave the word of God. People love one another from the heart. And people anticipate communal ministry. In a healthy local church, it's full of people that crave the Word of God. This passage describes to us the dynamic power in the Bible. Verse 22 of chapter 1 said, By engaging with the truth of God's Word, I'm cleansed from sin. Sometimes that concept kind of is so well familiar to us that we lose the power of it. I get forgiveness through understanding the message of God's Word. I enter into new life, verse 23 says, by receiving this message. And chapter 2, verse 2 says, I grow into the full experience of salvation when I engage with the Word of God. It's loaded with blessings for my life. But did you notice what your part is? You've got to crave it. You've got to crave it. You've got to long for it. You've got to desire it with your whole being. You've got to love it dearly. Back in week one of this series, I spoke to you about the value of Scripture. And back then I said it's never enough to just read your Bible. You must delight in it. You must meditate on it. It must be activated in your life through that process. Here we have similar sentiments just with different terminology. Whether we're talking about delighting in it or craving it, the same kind of thing applies, I think. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. To what degree you love and desire and crave the Bible is actually on you. We contribute, if not control, our appetite. This is an undeveloped thought for many of us. We kind of just think, well, I don't really love the Bible, so that's bad luck. No, 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 no. We contribute to our Appetite. You might remember in that first message, I spoke a bit about being married to a Mexican-American for the past 10 years. And now in my 11th year of marriage, I have a desire, let me tell you, for Mexican food that I did not have 
10 years ago. In fact, Yvonne, who's away tonight with a sore back, she would tell you that Jono now can handle hotter food than I can. I, I desire it. I crave it. Why? Because I've tasted of it and it's been good and my appetite has been trained accordingly. Here's the principle. Today's appetite is somewhat a reflection just of yesterday's diet, yeah? So as we continue to feed on the Word of God, guess what? It has this progressive momentum to want to continue to create an appetite where I long for more and more and more of it. It just keeps on coming at me because the more I have of it, the more I want it. We can train ourselves to need the Word of God. It comes through our habits. I pause in telling his story because I don't want to sound like the hero. So let me start by saying my diet is by no means perfect. It's probably six out of ten. The fact that ice cream is my favourite food ought to be telling for you. So, so don't hear this story and think, man, this guy's a machine. He lives on green smoothies. No, he does not. He likes chocolate. He has a sweet tooth. Ice cream is his favourite food. My diet still needs work, but I have one primary strength. I have one primary strength. I love water. I love water. I crave water. And I've trained myself to love water. In fact, uh, when I first came to Christ, I was struggling to get up early to spend time with God. And my pastor said, and I think I've mentioned this before, you need to try the old army trick. I said, what's that? He said, six glasses of water before you go to bed, son. You'll be up early. You'll be up early. Sure enough, 4 a.m., nature calls. You're up early. When my mum's heard me speak of that, she says, you ain't seen nothing yet, son. Wait until you get to my age. but I crave water. I don't have to work myself up to want water. My body longs for water. I get up every morning and the first thing I do is consume a litre of water. I crave it. And if you give me the option, if you say, John, how about some Coca-Cola instead? Well, I understand this feels warm and fuzzy on the way past my taste buds, but I can tell you 100% of the time, 100% of the time, if I've got the option, I'll choose this. Not just because I know it's better for me. That certainly informs my choice. But I crave it because I've trained myself over time to need water. And I drink three litres a day just progressively. It just grows on me. And I can't do without this now because I have trained my appetite to need this. I wonder if we might have the same effect if we trained ourselves to need the Word of God, if we trained our spirits and we treated them in the same way as we do these physical things. We understand physically that, yes, you know, broccoli and carrots and, and, and apples and oranges, they don't taste as amazing as ice cream when they pass through here, but, but kind of half hour or an hour later, you, you're regretting the fact that you just downed two litres of ice cream. And, and, and in fact, your body thanks you, doesn't it, if you give it the right nutrients. And, and two hours later, you've sat down, you've had vegetables and you've had healthy meal. You're, your body thanks you. It sits well with you. You don't feel like being sick. And I wonder if some of us are spiritually sick because we're feeding our spirit the wrong diet. 
we're starving ourselves of Scripture. And we have some control here. We can learn to crave it by what we feed ourselves. By what we feed ourselves. Now, someone's going to say, John, I've tried with the Bible and wow, it's confusing. Like I just find myself spinning in circles when I try and read this thing. Don't tell me this document is straightforward because I pick it up and, and I just get bamboozled by it. Well, in a fortnight's time, we're going to circle back and talk about how to read the Bible and make sense of it. But I admit, it is complicated. It isn't always straightforward. But here's the thing. When you know that life is contained in this book, you're prepared to work hard to find the gold. Has anyone just been for a walk, you know, down the footpath and found gold? No, no, no. You've got to mine for it. You've got to work for it because it's a treasure to be found. And the same thing with the Bible. Yes, we have to do some work. It doesn't just come to us immediately. But as we realise that in it is life and meaning and purpose, we're prepared to work and find that treasure. Healthy people in a healthy church realise the need to crave the Word of God. They also see the need to love one another from the heart. From the heart. If we truly encounter the God of the Bible, guess what? Sparks fly here. This way, not just here, not just vertically. It's not just about God and me anymore. It's about God and we. I can't hate my brother and at the same time claim to love God. It doesn't work that way. The encounters I have here with God's Word start to impact the way I treat other people. Now you might say, Jonah, that's nothing new. Isn't that Christianity 101? I'm supposed to love God and love people. Yeah, It is. But notice the little nuances in the reading here in verse 22. Since you've been cleansed from your sins, you must show sincere love. Did you pick up the unnecessary word? Sincere is not needed in that sentence. That's a complete sentence without that word. It could just say so love to each other, but it doesn't. It says your love must be sincere. Verse 22 goes on to say love each other deeply with all your heart. That's in another translation. Or fervently love one another from the heart. Or another translation, still love each other with a pure heart. Do you see that this isn't low bar compliance? You know, would you guys just get along and be nice to each other? That's not it here. The calling is deep. It's it's indicating a people whose lives have been changed, who, who's been turned upside down by the grace of God. And this love is sandwiched between two core reasons, this instruction to love, rather. Love is the what. It's the instruction of what we should do. Love deeply and sincerely from the heart. That's the what, but it's justified by two whys here. Since your life has been changed by accepting the Word of God, and since you've been born again, verse 23, you've gone through this quantum mind shift where Christ has come into your life, where one one point in time, your life was just all about me, but it isn't anymore. Your eyes have been opened. You now see the, the, the value of people. They're not objects to use and abuse. Every person is worthy of honour because they're made in the image of God. They're, they're made in his likeness. And on the basis of that, Peter says, love 
one another from the heart. Enter into the mind shift of how God sees his world and his people. Go against the grain with that. What do you mean go against the grain? I mean, verse 14, that we haven't read yet. It's earlier than our reading. It says, the general view of society is that everybody just satisfies their own desires. Nobody worries about anybody else. It's all me, myself and I. Peter knows that. He knows selfishness is the norm. Not under any illusions. He knows the normal operating mode of the population. He says, for you, those that have been called by Christ, you need to love one another from the heart. It's a primary trait of a Christ follower. Now, you might remember in my previous message, so I talked about the two key life questions that Les Parrott enlightens us with. It's, who am I and how are you? And Les Parrott says, the reason many people never get around to how are you and think about how anybody else is going is because they're still working out who am I. They're still working out their own identity and because they haven't got that sorted, they can't possibly enter into the world of anybody else. So they're preoccupied with themselves. Who am I? How are you? I think Peter's making this very same argument. Since you know who you are, since your life has been changed by Christ, since you're released from your past guilt and sins, and since you know your future in Christ is secure, guess what? You're free to start thinking about others instead of yourself. Get on with loving each other, Peter says. Pete, that's really cool. Thanks for the letter and all that. But I I just wonder if in your time things were different then to what they are now. I mean, Peter, if you... If you knew the people in my circle, if you had to be around what I have to be around, you'd be happy with outward compliance. You wouldn't be worried about this sincere heart business. You'd accept my niceties. You'd accept my smile even if it's fake. Because if you had to deal with the deception and hypocrisy, if you had to see what I see, Peter, then you wouldn't be worried about sincerity. You'd just be happy with the status quo and that I'm finding the strength to be nice to people. Well, loving people is never safe. It wasn't in Peter's time and it still isn't now. C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable because love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. I don't think Peter was at all naive in suggesting we love from the heart. I think he knew the potential bruises that that would leave us with. And I think that's why he starts his second chapter with all these big bangers here of getting rid of deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech. Why? Because loving each other is going to be really, really, really difficult if you're holding on to that. So, So you need to deal with that evil stuff that's in your heart because that's going to impede upon your ability to love each other well. So what I'm hearing you say, Jono, is that when people get all that sorted, I will love them fully. No, no, no. The love fully comes before the, the, the change of heart in, in these things of hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech. And, and the, the love is actually what, what triggers people to want to grow and change. It's people in the process of working out their holiness that need love. See, Peter wasn't born yesterday. He's not a COVID baby. 
He's lived a bit of life and, and he knows that, that, that this stuff of hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech, it was going on in the church in his time and he's a realistic person. He knows that it'll still be going on today and yet he says, despite that, learn to love well. But here's the thing, we have no place claiming to be a Bible-based church unless the hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech is actually on the decline. Not to say it won't be present. It was present in Peter's church circle. It'll be present in our church circle. But we have no right to say we are the Bible-based church of North Lakes or one of if we're actually not declining in these things, jealousy and critical speech and hypocrisy. In Jesus' name, if the Bible's taking root in us, they must be getting cut out of our lives. And our love for one another is the thing that will help move that in a positive direction. People in our circle don't need love at some future date when they get all this sorted out. They need our love now. And we need their love now, even as we process all these things. Love sincerely, from the heart, deeply, unselfishly. That's the call. In a healthy church, this is what people do. They crave the Word of God. They love one another from the heart and they anticipate communal ministry. In a healthy church, the whole congregation take responsibility for progress. It's a church where every person is activated to be involved. This is how God anticipates church works. It's a one in all in mentality. Notice how the scripture unpacks it for us in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2 here. There's one cornerstone, Jesus Christ, but look what it says about all of us. We are all rolling, I mean living stones that God is building into his temple. We are living stones. All of us come together as raw materials, living materials that God is using to build his house. You might say that sounds pretty epic. Peter's just warming up the vocal cords. He hasn't even hit his top note yet. Look at what comes up next. Not only are we living stones, that God is building together as a holy, eternal temple. Check out verse 5. You are holy Priests, huh? You heard right. Peter didn't sing the wrong lyric. You are God's holy priests. You are. Well, this can't be written to ordinary believers, surely. Uh, Yes, it is. This isn't for the clergy. This isn't for the professionals. Peter is writing to the church United, the everyday folks who a couple of verses before are still getting rid of hypocrisy and deceit and jealousy and all this negative, nasty stuff. Those same people, a couple of verses later, are referred to here as God's holy priests. And that's why it makes sense to get rid of that junk out of our lives because we have this holy calling. Why would we be holding on to that and nurturing that stuff when we have this holy calling? to be a priest. This call of the priesthood extends to all of us. You might be just 15, a brand new follower of Jesus, and you're like, priest? I didn't realise I was up to that. Well, yes, you are. 
God says, yes, you are. This is a message of 1 Peter 2.5. God has imparted all of heaven's authority to you. Hey, dear, notice a major dysfunction in the modern church when we say things like, I'll just wait for the priest to bless me. I'll, I'll just wait for the ordained person, the, the person with the collar on. Well, how out of kilter we are with the scriptures when we make a comment like that. Now, I have great news if you're looking for a priest. Axis Church has hundreds of them. In a church this size, if you're looking for a priest, you've got a lot to choose from. So how out of step we are with God when we say things like, I'll wait for Jono, I'll wait for Joe, I'll wait for Pastor Neil, I'll wait for Pastor Lionel, whatever it might be. Don't wait. You're a priest. You're a priest. God says you're already qualified, you're already ordained, You're already called by God. You don't need to wait for somebody with a certificate on their wall to show up to do anything. No, no, no. If there's a sick person in front of you, pray for them. If there's a lonely person beside you, talk to them. If there's a needy person next door, feed them. When you see a need, meet the need. That's what people in a healthy church do. They just move on in. They comprehend the Spirit of God is upon them and they're ready to serve. There's no ranking in the family of God, just available servants. I wonder today if you'd get activated into your priestly status. You are God's holy priest. He has availed his spirit to all believe it. It's a shocking thing when we don't step in. When God has availed all of heaven to us and we kind of stand back hesitant and go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Not sure that I can do anything. Listen to this from Wesleyan theologian Walt. He says, Nothing quenches the Holy Spirit more and self-disqualifies a person from the game like the categories of call to ministry and just a lay person. Joe spoke about this last weekend, being called into God's winning team. And she said how more often than not it's our own self-talk that blocks us from really experiencing the fullness of that. We, we don't have God put us on the shelf. We put our own selves on the shelf with our self-talk. And you say, Jono, but I'm not really called. Like I, I haven't done theological studies like you. Well, good. You won't have stale theories that load you down and hold you back. You can move forward with clean air and fresh possibilities. The courts of heaven are shouting to you, move Get involved. You're called. You're qualified. John, I appreciate the, the vote of confidence, but you have a calling. You're the real priest. I'm just a plumber. I mean, I'm just a school teacher. I'm just an artist. I'm a coach. I'm a retail assistant. I'm not the same as you. No, you're not the same as me. We all have a unique calling. You might not be called into church ministry as your job, but you're called into Christ's ministry as your job, and that matters more. In Christ, we are all called, and in Christ, actually, is where our primary identity is found. You need to hear this. This is really important. In Christ is your primary identity. The plumber, the school teacher, the coach, 
the artist, the sales assistant, do you know what they are? They're secondary identities. They're not your primary identity. Those identities will fade away one day and you'll be left with what lasts forever, what's an eternal identity. It's who we are in Jesus Christ. That's who we really are. I'll use myself as an example. If Axis Church sacks me tomorrow, You'll get that opportunity in August at the AGM, but be that as it may. If Axis Church sacks me tomorrow, what what changes here in terms of me being a priest? Nothing. Zilch. Nothing. In terms of my calling before the God of the universe, not a thing changes. Who am I again? First Peter 2.5. I am a holy priest of the Most High God, who he is using to form his temple. That remains my primary calling. My secondary calling is what I do here every day at Access Church. Your secondary calling might be plumber, might be artist, might be teacher, might be retail assistant. That's your secondary calling. That'll go one day. And even our role at church here will go one day. We'll hand it over to somebody else. But these are all secondary callings. I I didn't get a calling from God the day I signed a contract to come and lead this church. That's not where I got ordained. I got ordained by the God of heaven. The day I came into his family, he says, you are, all of you, a holy priest. If only we get that dynamic that we are empowered to move, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be involved, that we stop waiting for the pastor to show up and we start realising that, oh, I just might be a priest around here. How about that? How about that? Axis will be a healthy local church if we lean into this, if we crave the Word of God, if we love one another with sincerity from the heart. If we understand that we're all called together into this ministry. And I get it, that's a, that's a high bar for, for someone new to climb. It's kind of like, Jono, this is my first time at church and, and I'm starting to freak out because you're calling me a priest. You're, you're, ready to put a, you're ready to put that badge on me and I'm not even sure I'm coming back next week. Well, this is really just an invitation from God into a life of meaning and purpose and calling. And we all long for that. Even if it's our first time at church, understand that God has shaped us as our creator to want to be involved in something bigger than ourselves, something that lasts forever. And this is the opportunity here, something that has long-term ramifications beyond these three points that we're talking about here today is that the welcoming hand of a father saying, come, come and be involved in my family. Read my love letter so you come to understand how valuable you are to me. And understand through the message contained here that you can belong to a family and you can be part of that. And you're invited in to serve as an ordained priest. And I know if priest is such a foreign term to you, think representative, a representative of God sent on mission into his world to spread his love wherever it's needed. That's what a meaningful life looks like. That's what a life of purpose is all about. We were made for this. Somebody else this weekend is saying, it's not my first time hearing this, John. I've heard it all a million times before, but I just find that I'm stuck. I have my own issues and I'm not contributing. 
For whatever reason, I'm still working on question one. I still really don't know who I am. I'm still kind of plagued with insecurity and stuck there. Remember the quote I began with. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way, to the people who greet you there. You don't have it all together. You need their support. You need their direction. You need some accountability. You need some help. We are all a work in progress. None of us have it all together. We come together to learn how to be healthy. We come together to better apply the truth of the Word of God. We come together to work out how to love and grow in sincerity. So whether you're first time at church or you're approaching your 50th year of being here, we've all got some growing to do. The trigger point is surrender. You know, God has all the patience in the world. For us, if we're five out of ten in these areas, if you kind of look at these three things we've talked about, craving the word, loving one another, and serving as a priest, and you look at that and you're like, oh, at best I'm like a five. I've found in my life God has got all the tolerance in the world, all the tolerance in the world for me just being halfway along the journey. But I'll tell you what God's got zero tolerance for, me being half-hearted, me kind of faking it, me just sort of, you know, not really giving my all, not putting my whole self in. God's got all the tolerance in the world, all the patience you could imagine of a loving father if we're still a work in progress. He just asks us to put our all in today, to put our all in. And this is called surrender. It's us just saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Would you continue to work with me and take me along this journey? Would you give me a craving for good things? Would you help me grow? Would you help me learn to trust people? Would you help me learn to to see myself as somebody that you can use? If you're a work in progress, cool. If you're only halfway along, cool. But whatever you do, don't bring God a half-hearted effort. Bring him your whole self in surrender. And he'll happily go, all good. His grace fills in our gaps and continues to take us along that journey. I invite you to stand for prayer as the music team come and we close out. Lord, we are amazed by your patience. We look at our lives and so far... So often, rather, we, we, we realise we fall short. We have so much potential and so much God calling upon us and sometimes we just have only seen a drip in the ocean. We've, just, we've hardly even touched the surface of what's possible. And in this moment, we just want to bring surrender to you again. We just want to say, Lord, here I am. You see me. You know my past. And you've given me a future hope. But right now, while I'm still working on all this stuff, would your grace continue to grow me as I surrender to you? 
we're going to sing this beautiful song to finish called A Whole Heart. It's us bringing our whole selves before the Lord. Would you use this as a prayer? Just say, Lord, here I am. Take me. Lead me forward. Help me get unstuck and help me walk in the fullness of your call so that I can be healthy and be part of a healthy church. Lord, let these revelations of your word drop deep in our hearts so that the kingdom of darkness trembles because Access Church is ready to stand and be a light in the darkness in this community. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Stand and sing with us.